when someone has a task goal, they focus on the task and they try to do the best they can do. They put as much effort as they can and they feel successful when they apply more effort because more effort means more improvement. So that's the task orientation. So this orientation, which is again similar to the growth mindset of feeling good, feeling successful when you have done your best and you know you put the effort to do your best, to be the best you can be, that's the task goal versus the ego goal where you try to beat others and you only feel successful when you win the race, when you are the top. Like my son's rugby game, unless they win, he doesn't feel good because that's how he thinks about success. This is the Metal Set. Hi, this is Dawn, an ultra cyclist and sports PR specialist. And I'm Afshan, an endurance athlete and journalist. And we're on a quest to bring you stories of tenacity, courage, and metal. From athletes in the Middle East and beyond. We have hosted athletes from across the Middle East. And some of the common factors among them has been their growth mindset, positive competitive spirit, and importantly, the guidance of good coaches and mentors in their sports. Our guest today has done extensive research into these topics of sports psychology. Maria Kavasanu, a professor in sports and exercise psychology at the University of Birmingham in the UK, has dedicated several years to understanding what causes pro-social and anti-social behaviors in sports and its consequences. She co-authored a study on authentic leadership, which looked into the influence of a coach on an athlete's behavior, attitudes, and performance. This was published in the Sports Exercise and Performance Psychology Academic Journal last year. We had several questions for her. From what prompted her studies in morality in sports and training for the right mindset and pro-social behaviors to the crucial role a coach plays in increasing athletes' trust, commitment, and enjoyment in their sports. She also discusses how elite and amateur athletes can ease stress and preserve their mental well-being even as they focus on winning or achieving a personal best. Professor Maria has published more than 120 journal articles and book chapters and has received funding for her research from the Economic and Social Research Council, the Nuffield Foundation, the World Anti-Doping Agency and the International Olympic Committee. We learned a lot from this discussion and it also reinforced the value of a good coach or mentor in any challenge that you take on. We hope you enjoy. Professor Maria, how are you? Welcome to the show and thank you for taking the time to come on the show to discuss the growing importance of sports psychology in unlocking athletes' potential and your research around uh, topics of pro and antisocial behaviors and leadership in sports. We're so excited to have you on the show, but first you'll have to explain to us and our listeners what sports psychology is and why it's important. Thank you very much for your invitation to take part in the show. It's a pleasure to be here. And I'm very, very happy to talk about my experiences of sports psychology, what sports psychology is, etc. So what is sports psychology and why it is important? When people think of sports psychology, normally they think mainly about the performance aspect of sport uh, and how psychological preparation can help performance. 
So that's one aspect of sports psychology that's applied sports psychology is the science of helping athletes be the best they can be when they perform. But also we have social psychology of sport, which is the psychology of behavior in the social context of sport. So for example, how can we create the optimal motivational environment so that we can make athletes perform their best uh, they are motivated uh, to, to do their best, to try their hardest. Uh, other examples are uh, uh, what's the leadership style of the coach uh, that could uh, uh, facilitate motivation and bring out the best in the athlete. Uh, so sports psychology is quite a broad field uh, that is not just about helping the athlete perform better by teaching them techniques like uh, like uh, psychological skills training or or imagery or goal setting or management of anxiety. These are some topics of applied sports psychology. It's also about uh, the social aspects of sport uh, and how we can create an environment uh, to promote uh, the best behaviors in athletes. In a nutshell, it's about behavior of people who take part in sport. We try to understand behavior and we try to improve performance from a psychological point of view. Yeah, we're super excited to delve right into this. And I think, you know, now most elite athletes and professional sports men and women, Olympic teams, everyone has a sports psychologist, you know, to kind of help them. But my question is, is it only beneficial for elite athletes? I know, you know, personally in my, in, in some of the sports that I do with ultra cycling, there's a lot of talk about mindset. So is it only something that would be beneficial for, um, you know, professionals? Not at all. Uh, sports psychology is relevant uh, for all age groups uh, at all competitive levels. Uh, for example, uh, take a coach uh, in rugby who focuses too much on winning and tells the athletes, you need to fake an injury. You need to push as much as you can. You need to injure your opponent in order to succeed. That kind of behavior is actually harmful for the athlete. First of all, because they teach them to cheat by faking an injury or by teaching them, encouraging them to be aggressive, but also encourage them to play through the pain, even if when they are injured, uh, which mm-hmm. is can actually, can actually have negative consequences for the athlete, uh, because playing, continuing to play through the pain uh, while someone is injured uh, can have long-term uh, consequences for injury. But this is mm-hmm. the mindset uh, or the culture that some athletes, some coaches, unfortunately, promote in sport. Uh, um, also, focusing on uh, having the mindset of uh, trying to be the best you can be from a young age uh, is something that uh, can help athletes in life in general. Uh, and whereas the mindset of constantly trying to prove yourself uh, or uh, being better than others uh, and feeling good only when you are doing better than others uh, mm. uh, is something that uh, actually has negative consequences for the right. athlete. 
So the coaches actually have a big responsibility in teaching the athletes to have the right mindset uh, that will help them feel good about their sport experience. Uh, mm-hmm. And they help them perform the best and enjoy the experience. Uh, so, for example, I see my, my son, he comes uh, back from his rugby game uh, and unless they have won, he's not happy. And that's because his coach encourages so much the winning. That's what they focus on. Mm-hmm. Whereas I see my other son's coach, who is from in a different school, how he doesn't really talk about winning. He doesn't talk about the outcome of the game. He talks about effort and trying hard and doing the best you can. And that's the mindset that we want to focus in sport. So this is very, what it, I'm talking about. It's not elite sport, but you know you can transfer this mindset in in other life contexts. It's very interesting you say that because you have one son who has a coach who coaches in a certain way, and the other one in another. How do you take that? Like, do you go back to this coach, or do you? How do you then teach your son at home that winning is not everything in a sport like there are other lessons to be learned you know it is very difficult because uh, at that age secondary school you know other teenagers they don't tend to listen to their parents they tend to listen to the coach more and to the peers so that's where the coach is so important at home i would emphasize whenever he would ask uh, for example his brother did you win were you the best uh, in tennis today? So why are we asking this question? It doesn't matter whether he was the best in tennis. What matters is, has he learned something new? Has he improved his skills? Has he learned a new stroke? Did he enjoy the game? These are the questions that we need to ask our children. By asking these questions, we send them a message that this is important. This is what matters. Our questions indicate what we value. Mm -hmm. So all we can do as parents is ask these questions and engage the children in conversation. But the coaches actually play a very important role. And it's very difficult for a parent to go and tell the coach, this is what you need to do. (laughs) Particularly because... uh, Coaches are uh, often uh, don't get paid. They don't get paid. They are volunteers. But I I have observed that when I you know listen to the coach talking uh, to the athletes, uh, I can uh, I have observed how he's a bit too focused on winning on outcome, mm. and as a result of that, uh, the children are not happy when they lose, which happens often. You know, mm. sport just about winning most people are going to lose at some point so having this focus on winning on the outcome means that you are setting yourself up for failure and up for unhappiness because you cannot win all the time Mm -hmm. whereas if you focus on enjoying the game participating trying as hard as you can the winning the outcome will follow so that's what we want to focus on, uh, and uh, that's what will make athletes enjoy, children enjoy the game. It's not relevant to go back to your original question only for elite sport. Psychology uh, mm. and having the right mindset, the right coach style, uh, through the coaching, we can communicate uh, 
we communicate our values to the children, what is important, and particularly in uh, uh, teenage years, uh, the coach is such an important uh, person mm-hmm. in their lives. Uh, if particularly if you if you take uh, part in sport uh, and have a lot of training sessions, uh, you spend a lot of time with the coach. Yeah, I mean, I know Afshan's got a question, but before we go into that. I mean, I think it's important for us as well as athletes that we have coaches, you know, and they're a big part of our journey into sport. But I was, when you were talking about, I was, I was thinking in my head, do your children's coaches know what you do? <laughs> when do they see you? They're like, oh, she's got an opinion. <laughs> it's probably a good one. <laughs> yeah. I, I, as I said, uh, you know, I try to uh, not interfere with mm. them. No. <laughs> How they will take it yeah i mean obviously at the university where i teach i teach a class on moral behavior and doping and uh, you know we talk about these things so my students are going some of them to be coaches or have some experiences professional experiences with sport so the hope is that these people are going to influence the sport in some way yeah I guess it's important to to try at a higher level to make an impact. Mm-hmm. Not just one coach, but you know more coaches and more uh, more children take part in sports. So this this course that you teach on morality is it a fairly new course, or is this something that you developed at the university? And then what intrigued you in this entire field of study to begin with? Very good questions, both of them. So what intrigued me to this topic? Going back to my teenager years, I used to play basketball. And I remember one of my teammates, she was pinching the opponent, we were trying to annoy them, where she was trying uh, strategies. Uh, yeah, something, yes, in the game. Mm-hmm. And I remember her telling us, why don't we do that? That's how we're going to win the game. And uh, I remember that uh, I didn't like that. I didn't want to win the game with those strategies. I played basketball because I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed winning when I had put the effort and I tried hard, and I scored baskets. That's that was that's what was fun for me. So I thought by doing these uh, behaviors, it took the enjoyment out of the game, and uh, I felt uh, for me it wasn't really worth it to win with those strategies. Uh, and when I did my PhD. I started on uh, this area of research, uh, which was about achievement goals. And that is about the goals we try to pursue when we take part in sport, which is what I talked about earlier. For example, some some this is similar to the mindset research, where uh, when someone has a task goal, they focus on the task and they try to do the best uh, they can do. They try to they put as much effort as they can. And they feel successful when they apply more effort because effort, more effort means more improvement. So that's the task orientation. So this orientation, which is again similar to the growth mindset of feeling good, feeling successful when you have done your best and you know you put the effort to do your best. 
to be the best you can be. Uh, that's the task goal versus the ego goal, where you try to beat others and you only feel successful when you win the race, when you are the top. Like my son's rugby game, unless they win, he doesn't feel good because that's how he thinks about success. So these uh, these achievement goals are uh, our disposition to think of success in a certain way. So people who are task-oriented, similar to the growth mindset, they feel successful when they do their best, when they achieve their goal. They don't really care so much about how they do compared to others. Not they don't care because it's very difficult to not care at all, but they feel happy when they focus on their own performance. So if, for example, I run a race and I achieved my personal best, I feel happy because of that. So going back to my PhD studies, uh, as I was reading the literature, I, uh, I realized that those achievement goals have implications for morality. So uh, there was a, a famous quote by uh, John Nichols, one of the writers I was reading, when winning is everything, it is worth doing anything to win. So uh, that rings true uh, when I'm thinking about my experiences with uh, my basketball teammate uh, in my younger years. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting area of research. So then I started from there. And then I continued looking at uh, uh, pro-social behaviors as well. So not mm. just eating or antisocial, yeah. but also pro-social. And then also looked at teammate behavior how teammates behave toward each other, because that's Mm. also important. uh, And whether uh, uh, we see pro-social and antisocial behaviors within the team and what are some consequences of these behaviors. So Mm -hmm. long uh, answer to your question, but uh, it's a combination of my uh, experiences in uh, in my younger years. And I guess a lot of this coming uh, can be traced back to my family experiences and particularly my dad who had very strong moral values uh, and um, uh, that influenced me and uh, I always felt that it is important to live uh, uh, your life well which means uh, you know not to cheat to do the right thing to help others etc so I try to combine those things I can relate with the basketball <laughs> point because I played basketball in high school as well. And remember, there was some bad behavior <laughs> on the court. Absolutely. You know, it, I think uh, it takes the fun out of the game. At mm, least yeah. it takes the fun out of the game. You know, I just wanted to play. I wanted to play and have fun and uh, us as a team to win, but not win with uh, cheating and uh, being mm. aggressive to injure other players i just don't think it's fun for me so the experience was not very pleasant also comparing Um, yourself constantly to someone else in performance is a pressure that i think we see all the time in our sports because we both are endurance athletes and and with like apps like strava and you know all those apps that you can actually compare your results to someone else i think it just adds to that mental health pressure that a lot exactly. of athletes feel on a constant basis. Absolutely. This constant comparison is it can be exhausting. Mm. Uh, and uh, if you think about it, uh, it's really meaningless 
because it's just not possible to be top all the time. There will be a point where other people will be better than you. Mm. Unless you are top, you don't feel happy. So our Mm. happiness actually is dependent on how other people are doing, which means we have no control over Mm -hmm. our emotions, our well-being, our happiness, our mental health. It's very fragile. And that is the problem that we, we, you know, it's not good to uh, have our emotions, how happy we are, how good we feel uh, about ourselves, uh, to have those being dependent on other people. You have to focus on something that we can control and then uh, be happy. I know um, Afshan's got a question about to go more into morality and sports. But before that, I mean, from my perspective, it's and maybe I'm just more aware of it. And you can answer this question because, you know, better than me, like there's a lot more discussion now, particularly on mental health and sports and taking yes. care of athletes, you know, um, mental well-being along with their physical well-being. And we all know, you know, sports is physical. You need to be fit, obviously. But now there's more discussion turned to mindset and exactly, you know, in line with your research about how athletes can utilize um, this research and kind of techniques to really perform their best. And ultimately, you know, if they're task oriented, sometimes win as well. How has this changed over, I guess, the past few years? Like how much in your experience, how much more emphasis have you seen, you know, Go on to the research, go into the research and and helping athletes a preserve their mental well-being when they're competing at elite levels or even, you know, at community levels or even, you know, with children. And B, how has that grown? I would say quite a lot, uh, but mostly probably quite a uh, there is a lot of research and a lot of stories that have come out the last five to ten years. Uh, that uh, make have made us aware that elite athletes in particular experience problems with their mental health. Mm. And uh, we didn't know that 10 years ago. Uh, it's a, a relatively new thing, these stories, this, great, this greater knowledge that we have about mental health of uh, athletes uh, mm. is something new. I remember when I was uh, doing my master's, uh, we were only learning about uh, how sport is great for our well-being, uh, how sport makes us uh, feel good. Uh, I don't remember learning anything about sport being bad for your mental health. Uh, Mm -hmm. But now, elite sport, uh, what we see is a lot of research coming out uh, that shows that elite athletes particularly those in individual sports, they don't experience the positive effects of sport participation, some of them, and there are lots of incidents of depression, anxiety, Mm. and all this is a result of the pressure that they experience, not only from the environment, but the pressure they put on themselves to constantly Mm -hmm. be at the top, which is something that they cannot control. And by definition, if you play, take part in sport, uh, you know, we're going to have one winner uh, of in a race. Mm-hmm. Most of the people are not going to win the race. So if you have invested yeah. so much of your time uh, in training uh, with the goal to win the race, uh, to be the top Olympic athlete, and you don't achieve your goal, it's reasonable to see that uh, uh, it is reasonable 
it's not surprising that we see problems with mental health. Uh, the last few years, uh, there is more research coming out uh, uh, on uh, mental health in elite sport. The IOC has uh, published a, consent, uh, a statement acknowledging all these problems that uh, elite athletes has, have, mm. and they now have put uh, education in place uh, in order to support athletes for their uh, athletes' mental health. So, yeah, we definitely see the last few years uh, a growing uh, uh, understanding and interest in supporting athletes' mental health because now we know that they experience a lot of pressures. Uh, mm. And these pressures... Uh, uh, are not something that uh, we can really get rid of. It's very difficult. They're there. <laughs> it's very difficult. Yeah. I guess it's a matter of uh, uh, if we are we are in this environment, trying to learn to reappraise the situation mm. uh, and try, if it's possible, to see it as a challenge rather than a threat, uh, but also try to focus on having your, the goal of being the best you can be, achieving your own potential, understanding that uh, it's not possible to always be the best. And if your goal is to achieve your own potential, then success, the Olympic medal, if it is to follow, is going to follow. Mm. Uh, so it's very difficult, unfortunately, because uh, there is so much focus on the media, on uh, who is the best, that's the people who get the medals. These are the people who receive most of the attention. So the athletes can try to reinterpret the situation, reappraise the situation and try mm. to challenge and focus on their own uh, own self. So, I mean, uh, you say that and, and when we look at elite athletes, they start at a very young age and that's how they become elite athletes. And so everyone around them, their parents, their mentors, their coaches, they all influence the way the athlete starts thinking about performance, about winning, right? And that's part of the course that you're teaching at the university as well. Uh, morality and you said some of your students are going on to become those coaches so in in terms of what you teach in this course with as far as morality is concerned can you give us examples of some of the behaviors pro-social anti-social behaviors that you serve as case studies and examples for your students uh, in terms of behaviors uh, we, for pro-social behaviors we would look uh, 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 behaviors such as helping an opponent off the floor, um, congratulating a teammate, encouraging a teammate, uh, helping an injured opponent. Uh, I like to give the example of uh, Nikki Hamblin, who uh, helped D'Agostino, Abbe D'Agostino off the ground uh, when uh, in Rio Olympics. I don't know if you're familiar with that uh, event. She got a sportsmanship award, I believe. Mm. Uh, for that, uh, but these are prosocial behaviors. It's any behavior that is intended to help or benefit someone else. And these behaviors can be during training, they can be during the game, they can be toward the opponents, toward the teammates. You can think of those as sportsmanship, but it's not just shaking hands, it's a little bit more than that. It's doing something positive for someone else uh, within your team uh, or mm -hmm. toward your opponents. And for antisocial, uh, we would look at uh, aggression, uh, 
uh, not only toward the opponent, but also toward your teammates. So mm-hmm. criticizing your teammates, arguing with your teammates, uh, verbally abusing them, which is something that we often see in team sport uh, in particular. Uh, that's, these are all examples of antisocial behaviors. But we would also look at cheating, uh, faking an injury, for example, lying. Uh, these are other examples of uh, cheating behaviors. And examples in elite sport, uh, you might remember Cameron, the Cameron Bancroft uh, scandal in, in uh, cricket a few years ago. Mm. Uh, we, we do see these examples in elite sport. So what we try to do in the course is to illustrate those uh, examples with real athlete stories uh, and uh, talk about uh, what happens in elite sport and how seeing those behaviors is actually not good for the children who mm. are professional players because those players are role models. Mm. And, uh, the way they behave can have an influence uh, on how children behave. They will learn from looking at others, looking at role models. You know, there are lots of positive behaviors in sport. Uh, and we see tennis player uh, Jack Soccer. Okay. In a tennis competition, it, it's a video that you can see in uh, YouTube uh, where uh, his opponent uh, served uh, and uh, the, served, uh, wo- the serve was called as out, but right. Jack Stock knew it was in. So he told his opponent, you might want to challenge that. So the ref had called it out, but actually mm. it was in. So Jack Sock, at a very high level of competition, told his opponent, actually, uh, you might want to challenge this because it was not out, it was in. And uh, as a result, he lost the point because uh, the replay showed that it was in. Mm -hmm. So to me, that is a really beautiful act of honesty at high level sport. He must have slept well that night. No, I remember that I was at home and uh, the TV was on and I was uh, watching uh, that and I, I couldn't believe that he did that. So what an amazing uh, uh, experience. What an amazing uh, actor to see at high-level sport where mm-hmm. that point matters. And uh, he ended up losing that uh, that match, I, I believe. Uh, but uh, the point I'm trying to make when I bring up those examples in my class uh, uh, is that uh, you can see those behaviors uh, in elite sport uh, and uh, it's just uh, very inspiring uh, mm-hmm. to see those elite athletes uh, being happy to lose the point because they don't want to win uh, and knowing that they didn't deserve the victory. So to me, that was a very inspiring uh, uh, act. So these are some of, the things, some of the things that I do. I try to bring in real athlete stories because those inspire the uh, the students, and they can see that it's not just research. Eh? Mm-hmm. We can see those positive ethical behaviors in sport, eh? and we can have sport that can be ethical and honest eh? and based on, uh, on values of honesty and fairness. This episode is supported by Deep Dive Dubai. 
We know that our listeners love awesome adventures and take it from us it doesn't get more awe inspiring than the world's deepest pool. Measuring a record breaking 60 meters, Deep Dive Dubai gives both scuba and free divers the ability to discover an underwater world complete with the latest in dive technology and an abandoned sunken city. For those new to diving like me, it's the ideal place to get started. And for those experienced to expert divers out there, it's the perfect place to hone your skills with exceptional facilities expert staff and state of the art technology since it opened in 2021 it has mesmerized visitors and continues to deliver extraordinary experiences 7 days a week for more information and to book your experience visit deepdivedubai.com it always boggles the mind like you hear of the high profile you know kind of cheating scandals and bending of the rules and yes. doping and things like that but then What was the quote you said earlier when winning is everything, you know, you'll do anything yes. to win. And but it really I mean it really really perplexes me though when this is done at a community level. <laughs> when there seems to be no real, you know, financial gain or benefit yeah. Yeah. because yeah. I wonder like, you know, I and I haven't, uh, you know, I don't know of any specific examples, but I've heard tales of people, you know, taking performance enhancing drugs or doing things to their bikes for example and i'm like how can you sleep at night like if you know you're not you know it's not your effort it's, it's... exactly so again this is the performance mindset or mm. the ego mindset you know whatever you want to call it those two researchers incidentally they used to be at the same university and then they came up with their own words and they all stories <laughs> just because they wanted to have their own theory but yeah. the ideas are very similar so that's a very good point that you made there are no financial rewards at that mm. level yet uh, you see people being obsessed with winning mm. and that is fundamentally the problem uh, that they think of themselves as successful in other words they define success as being better than others mm-hmm. that is how Uh, th- these are the criteria of success this is how they think about success uh, and that is the problem uh, that if you think about success in this way uh, you're going to do things that are not right like you mm. know taking substances cheating lying uh, injuring your opponent in order mm. to, to succeed so this orientation this ego orientation this hyper competitiveness or performance mindset uh, ultimately can lead not only to problems with our mental health uh, mm. because you cannot be successful uh, you cannot be happy uh, because at some point someone else is going to beat you mm. but also uh, it can be, it can lead to bad behaviors antisocial behaviors cheating uh, uh, taking uh, taking drugs uh, which is a problem. Yeah. I think in, uh, in Don, athletes still want bragging rights, even if they're community athletes. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, but how can you, I don't know. I, I don't know how you could sleep at night knowing that you have, <laughs> you didn't do it yourself. You know, you didn't do it the right way. Yeah. I mean, how happy are you? Yeah. How happy are you and how proud are you for this achievement? Yeah. I was listening earlier to a TED X talk by David Miller. I don't know if you mm-hmm. heard of him. He was a, a professional cyclist, mm. uh, won the Tour de France, 
uh, and at some point of his, in his life uh, started uh, taking drugs because he felt he had to do it in order to win uh, particularly when he uh, when he joined the the tour de france and um, he was talking about uh, how happy he was when he used to cycle without drugs uh, mm. how much he enjoyed it uh, and how after he started taking drugs, uh, how he hated it. Mm. So it was very interesting, that contrast in the experience and the emotions that he felt. Uh, and he also talked about uh, the guilt and the shame uh, and all these negative emotions that he was experiencing when he was taking drugs. Yeah. And after, uh, you know, eventually he was caught and uh, he realized that what he did was wrong and he never wanted to do it again. And since then, he has become an advocate of clean sport, uh, going and giving uh, talks uh, everywhere about uh, how it feels to take drugs and how actually it's not a nice experience. No, I, I can imagine. Yeah, we don't. But essentially, it's not possible to really feel proud of your achievement or happy when you know it's not you, it's the drugs. Yeah. Help you so it's not good, but unfortunately, athletes don't know about those experiences uh, until mm. they're taking drugs until they're in them. I think in my sport, like in ultra cycling, I've seen far more examples of pro social behavior you know, people the, the I, kindness and grace and generosity, and you know, amongst my fellow competitors and racers. And I think I'm really fortunate in that respect. And I think, you know, a lot of people, particularly in ultra cycling, are very much task oriented, like you said earlier, focused on the journey and, you know, racing themselves rather than the outcome is the, you know, is the result of them focusing on what they're doing and themselves, which is really beautiful. Have you seen, and I think, you know, with some of the high profile cases, particularly with, you know, professional cycling and doping and all of that. Have you seen more of a shift now to, you know, that kind of um, that task oriented focusing on, you know, the your performance rather than the outcome? Have you seen a big shift recently within pro athletes or, you know, pro sports and community sports? Or is there still more work to be done? Uh, it's difficult really to say, but uh, I think if I were to guess, I would say there is still work that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. uh, because we see, I mean, there is more awareness these days about uh, problems with mental health and problems with uh, drugs. And the World Anti-Doping Agency is quite active in uh, trying to promote clean sport. IOC is the same. Mm -hmm. So more effort uh, has gone to uh, promote uh, clean sport and the growth mindset. But I think there is still work to be done, I would say. Mm. I don't know about professional cycling in specifically, but I would say sport more generally. In general. Maybe more experience, actually, because, uh, you know, you speak to other cyclists and uh, I, I would imagine you probably have more to contribute to this conversation than me. I mean, uh, well, we're speaking mainly community, you know, community yeah. athletes and some pros, but I think, um, you know, everyone we've spoken to, we're really fortunate. They have these, yeah, beautiful growth mindsets, which is kind yeah, of led yeah, them to where the growth mindset and, yeah. and like, you know, we, we're going to, you know, move on and talk about some of the research that you've done in both the areas of doping and coaching. And what we've realized that is a lot of the athletes we have on our show also work with really good coaches mm. who yeah. have 
help them build that positive mindset and the mindset of not comparing themselves to others but kind of finding their own journey and finding their own win for themselves yeah, yeah. yes it's really nice to hear that uh, i think uh, the media plays a very important role and uh, i think uh, athletes would listen to a podcast in the media and then they would uh, maybe share with our uh, with their uh, teammates but ultimately as i said earlier the coach plays a very important role mm. so i think uh, the more coaches encourage the growth mindset uh, the more likely we are going to have a, a a nicer sport a better sport for everyone mm-hmm. And I'm sure performance will follow that as well. You know, it's not the outcome, but when you're happy. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just want to give another example here of a coach. I don't know if you have heard of him. You know, he's not alive anymore. His, his name was John Wooden, and he was basketball coach at the University of California, Los Angeles, basketball team uh, for 10-15 years uh. and as you know college basketball uh, uh, you don't have the same players they change every four years because because they graduate so he managed to have uh, to lead the team to be the top team in the country uh, for 10 times uh, which is an amazing achievement uh. He's considered uh, one of the best coaches of all times in the in the U.S. But what was very interesting about him is his philosophy of coaching, and uh, in particular his definition of success, which uh, he describes uh, as trying hard to be the best you can possibly be. So that is very similar essentially that is task orientation so this coach had this definition of success of uh, focusing on your own performance trying hard and enjoying what you do and i believe as a result of that and of course he was a a very good coach as well and he knew the game but uh, that philosophy together with his other traits has uh, led him to be top coach in the country for 10 years, win the National uh, Collegiate Athletic Association Championship for uh, 10 times, which is an amazing achievement. So, Mm -hmm. yes, uh, uh, winning is going to follow. And uh, we have uh, every reason to believe that focusing on on your own self, on your effort, on on, uh, uh, improving yourself, uh, improving your performance, uh, and not think so much about the others will definitely get you the best results. Absolutely. No, I love that. I think, yeah, we're really fortunate. I'm fortunate with my coach. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so am I. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes, it makes a big difference is the bottom line. Definitely right? does. Related to, I guess, sports and mental health, you know, having the right coach, we've had guests on the show before that has talked about sport and training. And I think it probably happens at super elite levels, but can also happen at, you know, a community level, um, amateur level as well, how sport and training can sometimes morph into punishment. Um, and I've had this with myself too, cause I do cycling really, really long distance. And sometimes I'm like, is this actually, um, what am I doing this for? You know, like, is this punishing myself or am I actually enjoying this? 
how can how can people avoid that, you know, and maintain that healthy relationship with sport and training when sometimes it is often tedious and seems like, you know, maybe you're not doing it for the right reasons? <laughs> yes. Uh, so are you saying that uh, you would uh, cycle but not enjoy it? Or is it like you feel that you have to do it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like. Because you've signed up for a race. <laughs> yeah. Well, for example, my last my last race, I'll give the example. My last race, there were certain elements of the race that I wasn't enjoying anymore. And to the point where it was, um, I didn't feel like it was necessarily safe. And I'm talking like a thousand kilometer race. So this was about 700 kilometers in. And I said, if I continue, I don't think this is for me. You know, this. if I continue, this isn't... Uh, I'm not doing it for the right reasons because I don't necessarily feel like it's safe for me to continue. And, but sometimes, you know, some people would power through that because I don't know, they feel like they have to, they've signed up for it. It's, you know, you can't not stop kind of thing. And it almost seems like a bit of self-punishment in some respects. Um, And we've had athletes mention that before, like sometimes overtraining or training specifically not for the right reasons, not because they enjoy it or things are coming up, but it almost turns into, you know, what's helped them initially with their mental health is now turning into a form of punishment. Interesting. So they are not able to give up, even though they think they should give up. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, I guess... If I were to guess, I would say that it's probably because they have already invested a lot of time in it. Mm, yes. And because they have in, because if you knew that at the start, you probably would have would stop, right? If mm. you knew at the start that you would feel the way you do halfway, you wouldn't start at all. Wouldn't do it, yeah. But you don't really know that. So there is a point where you feel uh, you have done a lot, you have invested your time already, and you don't want to waste the time, you want to complete mm. the goal. You wouldn't feel accomplished if you just gave up, would yeah. you? You wouldn't feel a sense of accomplishment. Huh? Uh, so I guess you maybe you have uh, in your mind that uh, you need to do that, you have to do that, because you have internalized the yeah. value of uh, completing the race. Mm. So I think sometimes uh, we have certain thoughts, we internalize certain values, certain certain things that we want to achieve, and then it's very difficult to get rid of that because you have started with that race and you have already invested your time and maybe you made you made a commitment. Mm. And giving up, you might think uh, you will look weak or... Uh, uh, maybe you think a lot about uh, what the other people think about you. That's mm. also a possibility. You don't want to uh, other people to think you are weak. Maybe it's mm. that as well of uh, yeah. our environment, you know, the peers, the parents, the friends. Uh, what will the other people think? Mm. So I don't know whether you had that thought at all. Of yeah, no, I, the other, I mean... In other words, sometimes it's because in our head uh, we hear the voice of... Uh, what other people will think of me mm. and mm-hmm. i have this image of being top athlete being amazing and then uh, other people will not think of me as being the top athlete if i don't uh, succeed so i guess uh, if that's the case uh, try not to think about others and think about what is important to you uh, obviously yeah. that's the assumption i don't know what you think but yeah no be- i mean absolutely 
this this would be one reason people would want to continue not to let others down thinking mm. too much about what other people think that are important to them and uh, putting themselves a second which is wrong really because yeah. we have to put our health first our well-being yeah. first and not care about what other people think yeah, I mean that's that was my rationale for this. I was like, I, if I can, like, I have to think about me first in this instance. But as much as um, one of my fellow competitors, she was talking about FOPO, fear of other people's opinions, and I said, I don't care. <laughs> I said, I don't care. But deep down, part of me does care. <laughs> I mean that that would explain not giving up. You don't. Mm. You don't want to let other people down. You don't want other people to think you are weak. Mm. So the opinion of others matters too much. Yeah. Uh, and I guess you need to try to tell yourself, uh, actually, my well-being is more important. Mm. And uh, if I don't feel like continuing, I will stop because I love myself. Uh, and <laughs> I care about myself more than I care about other people. Yeah. That was exactly my conversation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just to, uh, you know, kind of continue on the same vein of conversation uh, and to Dawn's experience and to uh, the experience a lot of a lot of elite athletes who have to walk away pretty much from their sports. I know Dawn's not going to walk away from cycling, but a lot yeah. of elite athletes have. Is that the only solution then for an elite athlete to walk away because they're now stuck in this vicious loop of, you know, having this pressure and this comparison and this failure, which they've grown up with because, you know, they start at a young age. They've got this pressure from their coaches and from their environment. Or is there a way to kind of retrain, untrain and retrain your brain and then move forward from there? I guess these elite athletes, uh, they might uh, leave sport because maybe they reach a point where they think, actually, this is not good for me. And even though we could retrain our brain by changing the way we think, by reflecting on our experiences, uh, by understanding that uh, certain things are not good for us and we need to change our behavior, the truth is uh, that if your environment focuses too much on winning, uh, and if you are in a, in a team, for example, or in a training squad where uh, certain players are going to be selected only, it's a little bit difficult uh, mm. to completely ignore that. Uh, a, a lot of what we think often uh, is influenced by what important others around us tell us, they make the decisions, they create the environment. So perhaps elite athletes, when they give up elite sport, they may have reached the conclusion that this environment is not good for me. It has too much pressure. And maybe they will still take part in sport, but not necessarily try to compete and be the best. Because when you are an elite athlete, uh, where you try to make it to the Olympics, for example, uh, I guess where you train with a coach who has the goal of getting the athlete to the Olympics uh, and uh, the coach has a certain mindset, uh, it is very difficult for the athlete to think in a different way. So one solution would be, obviously, to try to find another coach. Mm. Um, again, the coach plays a very important mm -hmm. role 
But it might be that those athletes have concluded that it's not possible to find another coach. Eh? Mm. Or they may have concluded that uh, they had enough, uh, that the system is too powerful. So sometimes people make the right choice to leave elite sport uh, when they see that this is actually not good for them. It's not mm. necessarily their own choice. You know, they can take part in races. They can take part in, uh, uh, they can continue sport uh, recreationally. They don't need to be uh, an Olympic athlete. They don't be, need to go to the Olympics to to continue sport. Mm. But I don't know what are the examples you are thinking of. I did speak to some uh, Olympians some time ago, and uh, I found it remarkable that uh, they were not so excited about their experience of going to Olympics. Interesting. Yeah, I, could, I couldn't believe that because, you know, when I, I was a teenager and I was playing basketball, uh, my dream was to go to the Olympics mm. and be in the national team of Greece. I'm, I'm from mm. Greece originally. Yeah. So uh, I, you know, I just uh, found it fascinating to be at that top level. And I always admired uh, elite athletes. And I always, you know, have been fascinated with uh, people who are able to work so hard and reach that high level. Mm. And uh, I, I was a little bit uh, surprised, let's say, to hear those athletes talking about their stories and uh, telling me, actually, it, it wasn't what I expected. The journey was interesting. Uh, the experience mm. of sport was interesting. But actually, going to the Olympics... Uh, it wasn't uh, an it wasn't an amazing experience. So uh, I no longer think uh, that uh, going to the Olympics is an amazing experience. It is probably for some athletes, mm. you know, those who stand on the podium. Uh, that's for them it's an amazing experience. But it turns out that athletes have many different experiences, and some of them feel actually this is not for me anymore. Mm. So maybe for them, it is the right choice to leave elite sport unless they can find the coach who is right for them. Mm. Uh, another story. Recently, I spoke to a friend of mine who told me that uh, she was, well, okay, I wouldn't say a friend, someone that I, I knew anyway. I don't want to identify people. I don't want to give more information to yeah. identify people. <laughs> this person was saying that uh, she was in the national team of her country and uh, had gone through a very uh, difficult uh, regime of training, like waking up at 4.30 every morning, uh, having uh, long hours of training. And the coach was very, uh, very harsh and uh, would hit her and uh, punch her. Yeah, that oh was a God. few ago. Uh, what I'm trying to say is that this person uh, described those experiences uh, that uh, made me think, uh, why would someone want to continue to do this? But she continued because the parents were so proud of her being in the national team and uh, she didn't want to let her parents down. And eventually she abandoned sport completely mm. and focused only on physical education because the experience was so negative. And we, you know, we often hear athletes saying, I hate tennis. Uh, Andre Agassi, you know, he's a, a, a tennis player who has been very clear that he mm -hmm. hates tennis. So, what I'm trying to say is that perhaps 
for some elite athletes, the experience was not very positive. And maybe for them, the right thing to do is to leave sport uh, and be in an environment mm. where they can actually enjoy sport uh, without those negative experiences that they cannot control. I think the coach thing is just, you know, it's something I maybe took for granted, like, you know, having a good coach and um, because I didn't have a coach for one of my races and some people I know don't have coaches, but okay. it really is such a, you know, a key component. And you studied actually, like that's part of your research is authentic leadership in coaches, correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I guess, tell us a little bit more about that study. Uh, you know, what made you decide to research this topic in particular? Was it commissioned by someone? Uh, no, it wasn't commissioned, okay. but uh, when you are uh, at the university, part of your job is to do research. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, I came across this uh, concept of authentic leadership uh, a few years ago, and what I found interesting about it uh, is that um, it's, it is a values-based uh, style of leadership, uh, So people, uh, coaches who are authentic leaders, not just coaches, leaders in general, Mm. they they are uh, honest, they have uh, high moral standards, they are aware of their strengths and weaknesses, they make decisions that uh, have the well-being of their followers at heart, at, Mm. at heart, and they are open and transparent. They don't hide. They don't pretend that they are someone else. They are authentic, in other words. Uh, they have moral values, and they act in line with those values. So mm-hmm. they will not lie. They will be fair. They will uh, develop good relationships with the followers. So we applied that in sport. And the reason I like that leadership style, uh, this concept of authentic leadership, is because of the moral component of the because of the because it's a values based leadership style mm-hmm. and because of the focus on the well-being of the athletes by the coach so a coach who is an authentic leader will tell the athletes the hard truth it will be honest with them with respect to their performance and they will focus on developing the relationships and doing things that are right for the athlete, that focus mm. on the well-being of the athlete. They will not exploit the athlete. They will not give them drugs like some coaches do. Mm. They will uh, not tell the athlete to uh, go and cheat, they go and uh, injure another player. They will not overtrain the athlete. They will make sure that they have the appropriate recovery so that they don't, uh, they don't injure themselves. They don't have overtraining uh, injuries. And uh, what I liked about it was that uh, it's uh, a leadership style that uh, if we adopt, if the coaches adopt, we have a nicer sport, mm. a sport more pleasant, is more enjoyable, uh, and we have athletes who are uh, healthy. They have, uh, you know, they are happy. They mm. are committed to sport, uh, and they they have better relationships with each other. So. Yeah. In general, it's a leadership style that would uh, allow athletes to thrive and uh, and be happy and enjoy what they're doing and be themselves. I'm just now thinking back, like, who have I had as coaches in my life and, you know, how things are different. And when I, you know, I mentioned I played basketball in high school and I left that team because 
it was shame-based. It was a shame-based coach. We had shaming us like in terms of, yeah, like, you know, you're not like just yelling all the time and, you know, I'm like, we're a teenage girls basketball team in rural, like in Newfoundland. We're not going to the WNBA here, (laughs) but it really became a point where it was so unenjoyable. And I remember leaving that team. It's not like I was a star athlete. I certainly wasn't, but like being shamed by teachers then in the school that I decided to leave. So yeah, which is, you know, as a 16 year old girl, it's, you know, I remember thinking like, why are they like, why am I being painted like a quitter here? You know, I just want to, I just want to live my life. There's a lot of stuff going on in a teenage girl's life and without the added pressure of, you know, feeling bad and ashamed about your basketball performance every time you do it because your coach is like, yeah, thinks it's, I don't know, thinks it's like pro level, but, um, I'm so happy like to see this you know, stuff like this coming to the forefront because exactly that, like I left basketball and didn't like it. You know, I didn't enjoy it because of the experience of one coach. And, um, it's a shame because maybe I would have continued on playing basketball and liked it and enjoyed it. Well, but now you're a professional cyclist. So maybe (laughs) I I mean, that's a stretch. (laughs) So I mean, Uh, the research that you have done in this area, what are the far-reaching implications that you see from this research at the moment? That the far-reaching implications are that if a coach adopts a style, an authentic leadership coaching style, which means caring about the athletes, behaving in a way that is fair to the athletes and interested in their well-being, being honest with them, uh, inviting them to give some input on decision-making. The implications are that uh, the athletes will be more committed to the sport. Mm -hmm. They will try harder. And we also find that uh, they are likely to be more aggressive. So you can have a lot of positive things happening. Mm. And uh, also in one other study, we found some... uh, uh, higher frequency of pro-social behaviors when the athletes had a coach who was an athletic, uh, authentic leader. Mm. So we can see lots of positive things in sport uh, as a result of a coach who is an authentic leader. It's also interesting because I don't know if this model is something that is apparent in other countries, but in the UAE, a lot of the athletes work with coaches who are abroad It's not a face-to-face interaction. You know, they're in other parts of the world. How does your study factor that? And what recommendations would you give considering, you know, the athlete and the coach may not have that sort of communication because they're not in the same country? Yeah, that is actually difficult. Uh, Is that a new thing? Uh, Is that after COVID uh, that uh, this started happening? Because that's not really common in the UK at all. It is. It's very common here. Well, I think it's maybe to clarify the sports, like for triathletes, for example, or cyclists, you know, Mm. there's, it's not necessarily like a team sport or, um, you know, an amateur level where we're speaking about here. Yeah. So there's, yeah, quite a few triathlete friends that we have. My coach is based in the UK as well. Um, I mean, I don't think it matters really whether a coach is uh, there or whether they are uh, giving the coaching online. What matters is the communication of the coach. What does the mm. coach tell the athletes? 
So, for example, if the coach uh, tries to focus the athlete's attention on working hard, but without overtraining, because that can have negative implications, mm-hmm. that shows that the coach is interested in the well-being of the athlete. So it's about what the coach tells the athlete, mm-hmm. what is the communication, what is the message that the coach sends to the athlete by through the conversations that they have with them. I don't think it matters really that they are online or not. Obviously, mm-hmm. Eat them so we cannot have an abusive coach yeah <laughs> right but you know they can make them uh, feel bad it doesn't matter in other words whether it is online or not mm-hmm. what matters is what the coach tells the athlete so let's say the athlete is um, is not uh, achieving their best performance and mm. the coach starts verbally abusing the athlete it doesn't matter whether that is done online or whether that is done face-to-face. Yeah. Mm. The communication is the same. The coach can show caring for the athlete or can be abusive to the athlete, regardless of whether it is online or not. So mm. it's essentially the message that the coach sends to the yeah. athlete about what is important, yeah. and that is communicated with the comments they make. Yeah. But I, I have to confess, I don't have any, I haven't <laughs> done any research with uh, online coaching. Maybe that's my next study. Yeah, yeah. it's it's it certainly, yeah, it's certainly grown, I think, it yeah, since COVID and also just, yeah, like I, some of my friends have coaches in South America, <laughs> my yes. coaches in the UK, and I think it, yeah, I mean, I think everyone's met face to face and you know has a personal relationship in some respect to, to begin yes. with, but then it ends up being remote because people move or whatever, or mm. it's just the way it is. Is that uh, on a weekly basis online, a few sessions, or how does that work? Or yeah, I mean, I'll speak about mine, and then maybe Afshan can share yeah. about hers. So, for example, if I'm training for something, my coach will put a program in an app of a program I have to follow that week, and. Typically, we'll catch up over WhatsApp or, you know, notes in the program. Um, And sometimes we have then Google Meets to chat about, you know, how things are going in preparation for a specific race. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's very hard to uh, focus on, I mean, through these apps or, you know, through an online program, obviously your coach has to rely on the fact that you know the technique and you know what you're doing. Yes. And then sees your data, so it's basically very database, uh, yeah. Obviously, and the communication like that you have maybe on WhatsApp or any other platform, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, on WhatsApp or any other platform, uh, you can have uh, positive messages. You can have encouragement. Yes. You can have reinforcement. Yes. So a coach who is positive and focuses on your personal growth as an athlete uh, mm-hmm. uh, be more of an authentic leader, particularly also if they are honest with you and they show caring. Uh, and uh, whereas a coach who uh, is abusive, uh, they will have a mm. different uh, communication style. They will tell yeah. you, for example, if you didn't do <laughs> what you are meant to do, rather than encourage you and try to find out what is happening from preventing you doing uh, what you are meant to do. So this yeah. communication can happen in uh, across any platforms. Yeah. It doesn't have to be face-to-face. I think, yeah. I mean, this conversation we're having today just really reinforces the power that coaches have. You know, a lot of it for me, mm-hmm. but also... 
you know, how to keep yourself empowered if you feel like you're not in a situation that's conducive to your mental health or, you know, enjoyment of the sport. So I guess one of the takeaways for me is choose your coach wisely. <laughs> yeah. Yes, the coach can really yeah. have such a big difference. It's such an important person in the athlete's life, particularly if they are yeah. training many hours every week. I would say it's probably the most important person in their life, the coach. Yeah, because then they become the integral part of your life, right? They're there yeah. every single yeah, day. Yeah, and uh, for an athlete who trains uh, many hours a week, uh, sport is important and success yeah. through sport is important. Uh, and the coach is the person who is going to help you achieve this success. So mm-hmm. how the coach defines success will be passed on to the athlete through these communication channels. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, definitely what... very important. So we got we got to find the right coach, get with the right coach. What other, I guess, you know, tips or routines or advice would you give to somebody you know who to social behaviors yeah for pro-social behavior to maintain you know to make sport a nicer gentler you know not less competitive but gentler and nicer environment for all yeah again uh, the coach when we become coaches when when athletes at some point they become coaches uh, uh, it's important to reinforce those behaviors uh, when mm. they see them, uh, when they coach a team, for example, uh, or when they talk to the athlete about what is important in sport. Uh, sometimes there are uh, dilemmas that athletes have, uh, and uh, through discussions, uh, they can try to get them to think in a different way. Uh, but importantly, reinforce prosocial behavior and talking to the athletes about. Uh, Helping other athletes. I mean, this is morely, mostly on, in team sport uh, mm. that I'm talking about. Uh, so I'm not so sure about uh, individual sport. Uh, um, but you said in cycling, you can see a lot of uh, pro-social behaviors, right? Yeah, well, in in ultra cycling, <laughs> which in, is not in. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that's in the regular. Pro, like, I mean, I'm certainly not. not you know. Thing, no. Yeah, it's amateur level, but ultra cycling definitely like you know, seen such kindness, like I've never experienced, yeah, you know, and from, camaraderie. Yeah. yeah, and camaraderie, because I feel like we're all kind of in it together. And we all want, you know, we all want everyone to succeed. We want everyone to finish the race, because finishing the race in an ultra cycling event is, is a big, big achievement. You know, it's uh, no matter where you place, finishing is <laughs> the goal. And your success, eh? does not mean that others will not succeed. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Essentially, your goal is to finish the race. Yeah. Right? Which yeah. is uh, why everybody feels that you are together. So it's yeah. similar to thinking a team, actually, if you think about mm. it. So encouragement uh, and uh, congratulating uh, another player. Again, I think of a player, but essentially encouragement and helping uh, yeah. the players are important. Uh, how to teach yourself to do that? Uh, well, I guess you have to think, uh, how would others, uh, yeah. how, how would you like other people to treat you? Uh, yeah. you know, the, the old uh, saying, the gold rule, uh, treat the others as you would like to be treated. Treat yourself, so, yeah. If you are hurt and you want someone to help you, try to do the same. It's easier said than done. I mean, it's easier to say this is what the coach should be doing uh, rather than what the athlete should be doing because a lot of these things 
they come from uh, uh, our environment, what we have learned, what we have uh, uh, seen other people doing in our environment. So mm-hmm. if you see other athletes being kind, if you experience the kindness, you want to be also kind because yeah. you, you have this nice feeling mm. of how it feels for someone to be kind to you. And then that reinforces the behavior. So mm. someone has to make a start, I guess. Yeah, I think um, you made a point earlier about reflection as well, which is kind of something, you know, I think a lot of us are kind of like, okay, tick, I've done that tick onto the next, you know, and really don't take time to sit back and think about their experience in sport. But I think reflecting is really, really key. And it's one thing I've, I think the podcast has really helped because I'm actually sharing my experience with people and some of this stuff. And I I think the same is with Afshan as well. So do you think reflection will help as well? Like kind of. Absolutely. I think reflection is really important. Reflecting on your experience and what makes you happy and Mm. what makes this experience a better experience. And uh, ultimately, how do you want to live your life? Mm. What is a good life? You know, we are all social animals. We live with other people and it's a nicer life when we are kind to other people. And uh, I guess we have to have some reflection in order to come to the realization that kindness and prosocial behavior are qualities that make a better life. Mm, So ultimately reflect on our life. How do we want to live our life? Life is actually better when we are kind to each other. Absolutely. uh, Try to change your behavior. I mean, not change necessarily, but continue with a kind behavior. (laughs) Some people are already kind, some people are not. And uh, I guess, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, I do agree. Reflection is very important. Uh, You know, a few years ago, speaking about my son again, a few years ago, my son uh, said uh, to me, uh, I decided uh, I don't want to lie anymore. I said, really? That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I said, how did you decide that? And he said, uh, well, uh, I thought about it. Uh, I thought it's not good to lie. And I have decided that uh, I don't want to live my life uh, with lies. So that was the result of some reflection. Maybe it was the result yes. of having some religious studies lessons in his school. is that... It was the result of him reflecting on how he wants to live his life. He's still competitive, but he doesn't cheat. So, (laughs) (laughs) but he doesn't lie. (laughs) I think that's so sweet. That's it's so nice to have a a child who does not lie because I know I can I can believe what he tells me and I don't need to. The truth is ask. So, (laughs) so yes, I do. No important to reflect on how do we want to live our life what is important and uh, I think if we do that we will come to the realization that Mm. life sport is more fun is better when we are kind to other people yeah I've really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, you, really. I think I mean, spoke about so many things and and yeah, lots of important lessons. I guess my message to whoever listens to this podcast uh, is uh, try to do things that you enjoy and uh, take part in sport in a way that is enjoyable for you because ultimately 
life is short and uh, we want to do things that we enjoy and sport uh, is one of the activities that uh, allow us to experience a lot of enjoyment uh, a lot of uh, mm. happiness so it's great that we have the opportunity to take part in sport uh, but be sure to do it in a way that is enjoyable don't yeah. it's an adventure your... not a punishment absolutely don't pressure yourself uh, don't do it for others uh, do it because it's enjoyable for you and because this is something that uh, you consider important, uh, mm-hmm. not because other people uh, consider it important for you, not because your parents want you to do it, not because your your husband wants you to do it, uh, to make them feel good. Mm. Uh, do it because you enjoy it, uh, because it's important to you. And uh, play sport, uh, take part in sport uh, in a way that is enjoyable. Yeah. And if it's a present experience for you, it's fine to go to leave it. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, we ask that you please share it with family, teammates, friends, and even frenemies, or share via social media. Please also leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Five stars only. And visit us on themetalset.com for more stories and resources. Thanks again for listening. Your support means the world to us. This is The Metal Set.